0: It's always good to listen to stories and events during the time of the Buddha, and to meet some of the characters that populate the scriptures. So this is from the Connected Discourses in the Pali Canon. It's about a disciple named Mahanama. And just remember Mahanama if ever you get into a muddle. Thus have I heard on one occasion the Blessed One was dwelling among the Sakyans at Kapilavatu in Nigroda's park. Now Kapilavatu is the place where the Buddha grew up. That was the home of his parents. And as you may all know, he was raised in a palace because his father was a king. Then Mahanama the Sakyan approached the Blessed One paid homage to him, sat down to one side, and said, Venerable Sir, this Kapilavatu is rich, prosperous, populous, crowded, with congested thoroughfares. In the evening when I enter Kapilavatu, after visiting the Blessed One or the beakers worthy of esteem, I come across a stray elephant, a stray horse, a stray chariot, a stray cart, a stray man. On that occasion, venerable Sir, my mindfulness regarding the Blessed One becomes muddled. My mindfulness regarding the Dhamma becomes muddled. My mindfulness regarding the Sangha becomes muddled. The thought then occurs to me, if at this moment I should die, what would be my destination? What would be my future born? And the Buddha says, Don't be afraid, Mahanama. Don't be afraid, Mahanama. Your death will not be a bad one. Your demise will not be a bad one. When a person's mind has been fortified over a long time by faith, virtue, learning, generosity, and wisdom, right here, crows, vultures, hawks, Dogs, jackals, or various creatures eat his body consisting of form composed of the four great elements, originating from mother and father, built up out of rice and gruel, subject to impermanence, to being worn and rubbed away, to breaking apart and dispersal. But his mind, which has been fortified over a long time, By faith, virtue, learning, generosity, and wisdom, that goes upwards. It goes to distinction. Suppose Mahanama, a man submerges a pot of ghee or a pot of oil in a deep pool of water and breaks it. All of its shards and fragments would sink downwards That the ghee or oil would rise upwards. So too, Mahanama, when a person's mind has been fortified by faith, virtue, learning, generosity and wisdom. Right here, crows, vultures, hawks, dogs, jackals or various creatures eat his body consisting of form composed of the four great elements originating from mother and father, built up out of rice and gruel, subject to impermanence, to being worn and rubbed away, to breaking apart and dispersal. But his mind, which has been fortified over a long time by faith, virtue, learning, generosity and wisdom, that goes upward, it goes to distinction. What the Buddha means here, by goes to distinction, is that it goes to a higher rebirth. We're uplifted because of our good work, our good karma. We don't go to a bad destination, to a lower realm. So then the Buddha says again, don't be afraid, Mahanama. Don't be afraid, Mahanama. Your death will not be a bad one. Your demise will not be a bad one. And then in another sutta, a similar one, again it begins the same way Mahanama comes, and he says, my mind is muddled, my mindfulness is muddled, I'm losing the path, I'm not remembering the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha. And again the Buddha says, don't be afraid, Mahanama, don't be afraid, Mahanama. Your death will not be a bad one. Your demise will not be a bad one. A noble disciple, who possesses four things, slants, slopes, and inclines towards Nibbana. What for? Here, a noble disciple possesses confirmed confidence in the Buddha. By confidence, he means faith. Confidence, faith, trust, refuge. Confirmed confidence in the Buddha Confirmed confidence in the dhamma. Confirmed confidence in the sangha. He possesses the virtues dear to the noble ones, unbroken, leading to the development of the path. Right effort, right mindfulness, right concentration, and so forth. And the, the simile he gives, suppose, Mahanama, a tree was slanting, sloping, and inclining towards the east. If it was cut down at its foot, in what direction would it fall? In whatever direction it was slanting, sloping, and inclining, Venerable Sir, Mahanama replies. So too, Mahanama, a noble disciple who possesses these four things, slants, slopes, and inclines towards nibbana. one of the chants we chant in the monastery. This Dhamma is for one who is content, not discontent. This Dhamma is for one who wants little, not for one who wants much. This Dhamma is for one who is composed, not for one who is restless. But that doesn't mean that if you have kalesas swirling in the mind, if we're unhappy, if our minds are muddled, you're not worthy of this path. Quite the opposite. It means if you want to practice the path, you need to be aware that you're muddled. And Mahanama was aware. He said, I am muddled. But then he got identified with his muddled mind. And he was worried and anxious. And the Buddha said, don't be afraid, Mahanama. Don't worry. Don't practice muddling don't practice restlessness. When it arises, you see it and you let it go. When defilements of the mind arise in consciousness, what is our job? We have work to do. We can't just sit there and expect that we're going to fall towards Nibbāna if we don't lean towards Nibbāna. So we have to lean the mind, we have to direct it. Over and over and over again. That's why we do this chant in the monastery. This Dhamma is for one who wants little, not for one who wants much. And we reflect do I want a lot or do I want little? Am I always grasping for a better road, better conditions to live in? Then you'll never find a monastery you want to live in. And if we practice restlessness, We won't be able to stay with the practice. We'll always be looking for entertainments and something to do, something else. Oh, I can't practice. I have to look at my notes, or I have to take the dog for a walk, or whatever. Work-related things will always justify what we have to do instead of doing the work. But this work can be done wherever we are. It just takes one moment of unmuddling, not to be muddled. And one moment of paying attention to the restlessness, not to be restless. That's a moment of leaning towards the Dhamma, leaning towards the Nibha. So it's important not to pick things up, literally, and not to make a self out of it. Because as soon as there's a self, we're in trouble not true, it's not Dhamma, it's not what is really there. We have to remember four elements. These four elements and space, thought, space, the mind. Not solid, not a being, not a person, not in control. All that is subject to decline, decay. But that which can rise upwards to But opening the mind and liberating the mind from all these intruders, the discontent, the restlessness. because they keep coming back. And even Mahanama, who frequently went and listened to the Buddha. Imagine if the Buddha were here. What? Well, listening to the Buddha himself, then he'd be wandering around in town, and he'd get distracted by all the stray carts and the stray dogs, and the stray people looking at everything, and his mind would be full of the world. So, all he had to do was listen to a few words from the Buddha, and he could let go of the world and remember: yes, I go for refuge to the Buddha, I go for refuge to the Dhamma, I go for refuge to the Sangha. I trust in in my own potential for awakening, and I develop the virtues that incline the mind towards freedom, not towards bondage, jail. We have to remember that when we're thinking like that, it's as if we're creating a bondage for ourselves. It's like tying the mind down and putting ourselves in in handcuffs. It's very limited than what we can do. All we can do is be miserable. Some form of misery. You may know, until you're miserable. Because eventually, these muddled states of mind, confused states of mind, deluded states of mind, sadness, sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair, many times the Buddha mentions that particular phrase. That's where the mind will go when it's not inclining towards freeing the mind from these hindrances. Why are they hindrances? Because they're like bonds, they're like it's like tying yourself up in ropes. It's very hard to unravel them alone. So that's why it's important to go and listen to Dhamma, and reflect on Dhamma. When we reflect on the Dhamma, it's as if we're giving ourselves a Dhamma talk. So this, this chant that we do, this is for one who wants little, not for one who wants much. And then we reflect, do I want little, or do I want much? And if we want much, then we try to encourage ourselves. Well, wanting much in the world is not the way it's going to work. So simplify, what can I give up? How many pairs of shoes do I need? And of course, we have winter, so we have boots, and We have spring shoes and summer shoes. Even in the monastery, sometimes I get very embarrassed by all the shoes I have because I'm a nun. So I hide them in the cupboard. (laughs) Even here, I have slippers and shoes. I should go barefoot. But then my feet are getting a little funny as I get older. It's really better to have shoes that support. In the winter, we. We have to wear these ice cleats now that are an inch thick they're and they're jagged and pointy. They're quite dangerous looking, but they give us such support when the paths are just sheets of ice. I had several major falls, and as soon as I was walking around on these ice cleats, I felt like Wonder Woman. <laughs> <laughs> I can walk on ice. (laughs) But the project is not to walk on ice, literally. It's to walk through the dangers of the world, the temptations of what the world has to offer. Because we always get dragged away. These qualities of Contentment of energy of restfulness. Restfulness means that the mind becomes it's a deeper form of contentment. It's just able to stay with what's happening, even if it's very unpleasant, because the mind is knowing the experience and is not identifying with it. That's called meditation. We're meditating as soon as we know the object, and this is the first insight, it's knowing the difference between the mind and the phenomena arising in consciousness. The awareness of it, the object, and our awareness of the object are not the same. We are not the object. We are not the quality, the mood in the mind. We're not the the activities, the, the desires, the upset, the accusations. We're not that as soon as we learn to observe that stream of activity in the mind, and not own it, not identify it, not believe that's me, that's mine, that's who I am. This is the danger of me making and mind making, is we create a self and then we we hate the self. Well, how can you hate what isn't true? It's just impermanent. It's not real. How can we hate that? We cannot condone it. We cannot agree with it. Basically, what we tend to do, the muddled mind, tends to go to lack of clarity, because what what's arising might be unpleasant or painful. So one way of distancing ourselves from, from it is not to look. Then if we don't look, we go to denial. When we're in denial, we tend to hide things. Then they become deposited and somehow buried in in our embodiment of that energy. Then years and years of doing that we get sick. Once we get sick the body starts to hold the, the energy becomes calcified. I'm just using metaphors here but somehow it becomes knotted up and we lose our mobility, we become stiff, emotionally stiff, emotionally burdened, mentally burdened, mentally inflexible, and identified with that heaviness. We've all experienced this in different degrees. When somebody dies and we love, if if we get blamed for something we haven't done, ourselves and feel unworthy and carry that kind of attitude for years and years and years, then when people come along and feel are confident, they can easily bully us and overpower us. And then we feel even more diminished, And we play that role on for years and years until we feel that our life is meaningless. And we get depressed. We have to go for serious counseling. We even have to go on medication. But that can be unraveled, unbound. Unless, of course, there's such a serious illness that an organ becomes dysfunctional. Cancer, some other very serious illness, environmental, karmic, through parents. But then we suffer because of those sufferings, and the suffering that we add onto it, is the mental arrow. And that we don't need to do. But we do keep doing it. I'm no good. Well, we may have made mistakes and made unwise choices, but that doesn't mean that we are no good. That's like Mahanama, oh, what's going to happen to me when I die? I'm, I'm such a mess. And the Buddha just dusted him off and said, Mahanama, Don't be afraid, because he had practiced so much. So every bit of practice that we do, every time we know, oh, the mind is muddled, and we don't identify it, we have the opportunity to practice the Dhamma right then. Right then, we practice being content with little. And we practice uh, giving up, simplifying, not having so much, not being burdened by possessions, or bank accounts, or whatever. Give it all away. Sure, come to the monastery. (laughs) 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 Of course, during the time in the monastery, if one doesn't cultivate the path, This Dhamma is for those who are energetic, not for those who are lazy. Well, that's about right effort. This Dhamma is for those who are mindful, not for those who are inattentive. This is right mindfulness. That means we can practice right mindfulness in everything we do. Whether you're stirring your coffee or brushing your teeth, tying your shoelaces, or putting on your ice cleats, which I've could not put on. I felt like I a little baby. I had to put my foot out and ask one of the nuns to please, can you put these things on? They, they're chains and they get, they get knotted. But then I learned how. And when I was very mindful, I could put my clothes on. But not standing up. Because you lose your balance. So to be mindful in everything we is for those who are composed, not for those who are restless. That's right samadhi, right concentration. Instead of concentration, I like to use stilling the mind, pacifying the mental formations, bringing the mind to peace, calming it, stopping the activity in the mind. Or if stopping sounds too hard, we can say withdrawing our support restlessness. And then the mind goes to one object, rests on that one object, the breath, or the sound of silence, or of scanning the body point by point. Eventually the mind becomes so still that it's immovable, imperturbable. And very deep states of samadhi that some of you have experienced, even if somebody were to come and call your name, you would budge. Because the mind is so content within itself. That's not a worldly contentment, like, oh, I have enough. But it's a deeper contentment. It's not about shoes and clothes and cars and cell phones. It's about mental peace and tasting that peace and not wanting to let it go. That's a wholesome desire. The Buddha taught us that there is one wholesome desire. Yes, we should stop desiring things of the world, but to desire the Dhamma and the realisation of the Dhamma. One of the words that is used to describe the way we give our energy to that is chanda. Chanda can be right chanda or um, worldly chanda. And in fact, many times when we're restless, thinking, remembering, planning, and all that, that's chanda. But it's not dharmic chanda. It's worldly chanda. Chanda means not just desire, but it means approval. It's like you're giving your consent. And you may not be conscious. When we do that, it's because we're not mindful of what we're doing. It's a habit. And we're giving that habit, the freedom to reign in the mind. What is in charge is a habit, not awareness. Our ability to be aware and know what we're doing. Oh, look at that. Appropriate attention, wisely seeing that wise awareness and wise conscious living sees what the mind's activity is and turns, directs the mind every moment to that which will support freedom from the world, freedom from the bonds, freedom from the defilements of the mind. And that freedom automatically is a development of the enlightenment factors. So then the great tree is leaning to the east, and it will fall to the east when it falls. So when we die, if we've been practicing like that, the body will Go where the body goes to the four elements, but the mind will go, if not immediately, through higher and higher distinction, rebirth, and higher realms. It's a beautiful thing because we're conditioning the mind to go in that direction. We're creating the causes and conditions for our own freedom. Then This dhamma is for those who are wise, not for those without wisdom. That's what reminds us, we can direct our minds towards seclusion from the hindrances, and we feel happy. One of the points in here is, this dhamma is for those who love seclusion, not for those who crave company. That's a very important encouragement to us. It's to be mindful, why are we running around lot looking for people to hang up with talking on the phone being busy all the time busy busy and then people always tell me oh I'm, I'm so busy and I have to be busy they have to be busy but we don't have to be busy we weren't this busy the world wasn't this busy many years ago it's getting external media and by our own internal media, because we have so much fear and so much restlessness. So we try to cover that and comfort that and soothe it by being distracted with the busyness. But you, my dear spiritual friends and companions in the Dhamma, this is worthy company. We have worthy company here. Because we can share the silence. And in the silence, we can direct our minds towards the quiet. In the quiet of the mind, there is seclusion from the hindrances. That's the kind of seclusion the Buddha is directing us to seek, seclusion from the defilements of the mind. If we can develop that level of seclusion through practicing the absorptions, that those deep states of mind Which are referred to as jhana, very deep state of mind where the mind is so content and protected within itself from the poisons of the world and from the poisons of the internal media, the eyes, the nose, the ears, the tongue, the tactile sensations and thought. Thoughts, restless thoughts, irrelevant thoughts, unimportant internal conversation that doesn't lead anywhere just leads to agitation. More agitation begets agitation. But peace, contentment, mindfulness, composure, calm, wisdom, these qualities beget these qualities more and more. They give rise to that same energy. That's why we practice to develop these qualities, because if you practice one moment of mindfulness, the next moment of mindfulness is almost there, you're giving birth to it. We're generating it through putting in the right causes and conditions. And we're giving our chanda to that, we're consenting to it. So we have to look to see, what am I agreeing to? What am I giving permission for my mind to do? And that's what the purpose of this chant is, that we permit, allow ourselves to rest in the noble qualities of the Dhamma. And we say, we chant, it's an encouragement. Yeah, this Dhamma is for developing these good qualities, not for... And then we name all those qualities that lead us astray, lead us... Uh, We can go to the world and we see the stray cart, the stray cat, the stray man, etc., all these things going astray, and we get led astray by that. So we remember dear Mahanama, dear Mahanama who went to a higher realm because of his love of the Dhamma, And we chant these things that will remind us of how to be aware and pay attention to what we allow the mind to give permission to, what we allow the mind to consent to, what we allow the mind to invest in, what we allow the mind to say yes to. That's all. And if we're saying yes to things that don't support the path, we just turn around to what does support It's like when you turn on a faucet, it's just, it's a direction. Instead of shut, you open it. If it's open and it's bringing in the hot water, you close it, and you open the cold water. And we have that choice, to open to that which brings forth the goodness, the strength, the virtue, the inclination towards mindfulness, stillness of mind, clarity, wisdom, seeing through the confusion of the world, the unhappiness of worldly ways, the suffering in that, and freeing ourselves from that suffering. From the Gospel of Thomas, know what is in front of you, And what is hidden from you will be disclosed to you. If we keep seeing what's in the mind, like when you watch the breath, you keep seeing the breath, seeing the breath, seeing the breath, and then suddenly the breath might open, and you have an insight into the awareness that sees the breath. They're not the same. It's awareness knowing the mind, knowing the mental phenomena, the activity, And then it says, for there is nothing hidden that will not be revealed. And there is nothing buried that will not be raised. The truth, if we keep seeking for it, it will reveal itself to us. It will not remain hidden of that we can be sure